You're listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church, located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation, visit AntiochEast.com. We return this morning to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We, uh, we get very uh, wrapped up, or preachers do sometimes, and people who like to really get into theology and things, so we get wrapped up in the technical issues and arguments about the truths of God's Word, and I think that's very important. I think we must cut it straight. We must get it right. But I don't ever see anywhere in the scripture where Paul gives some collegiate theological explanation. He simply states truth, and usually by the end of it, he is praising God. He's just going, I don't want to say crazy, but he's just full. And if your theology... And your study doesn't make you full, make you want to shout, sing, cry, whatever. You ain't doing it right. You're not doing it right. Now, I know that we have sacrificed truth for emotion emotion many times in many churches and some complete denominations. But uh, if you can understand and see the truths of God's word and not be moved in some way, Something's not right. I think I said this last week or sometime. E.V. Hill, the great preacher of uh, Watts in Los Angeles, he said, a good sermon will either warm your heart or tan your hide. And I think that's what ought to happen every time we come to the Word of God. We ought to be moved. And if you're not moved, it is your fault. It is your fault every time. Maybe just because you don't feel good. You're sick. You're tired. Maybe you're full of sin. Maybe you need to put the Bible down and do some confessing. Maybe you need to go find someone and do some apologizing or whatever. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says the Lord will not hear me. But getting into the Word of God ought to move you. It ought to cause you to worship God. There was one great dividing factor, it always is in the Bible, between false believers and true believers, and that is worship. False believers bugged Jesus to see miracles. After he had done miracles, true believers fell down before him and worshiped when they saw his miracles. He said, Brother Ron, why are you saying that? Because I think the, the bottom line, I'll just tell you, I think the biggest message of a big the the number one message of this sermon is all glory be to Christ all glory be to God well hallelujah not just not just as part of our service all right we've done our confessing we've done our liturgies we've done this and now it's time to praise no praise ought to be automatic it shouldn't be on the schedule it ought to just happen so let's read together and then we'll get into the message Look at verse 27. 
chapter 3. I'm going to ask you once again to please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Where is boasting then? Now, I want to tell you the answer is not, the answer is not there is none. There is. But, I'll explain. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man or a woman is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. <laughs> or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What? It's awesome. <laughs> Y'all don't know how much fun I'm having preaching to this book. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please bless the reading and the teaching of your word. Forgive me. Forgive me my sin, my fleshliness. Forgive me for my blasphemies. Forgive me for, for my lazinesses. Forgive me for my lack of worship because I have not seen your truth. God, please open our hearts and our eyes today that we may rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. I've entitled the message this morning, Gospel Answers. Gospel Answers. And basically what he does is, as Paul is fit to do, as he likes to do, he raises questions to answer questions to do teaching. And his very first question is, and I don't want you to notice the question yet, but notice the last word, where is boasting then? Where is boasting then? That word is much like the word therefore. Having said that, seeing that. So the word then, if all that, what, it, what the word then means is, if all what we have just said and all that has just been written is true, what's to boast about in yourself? If what we've just covered, that you're all sinners before God, you cannot save yourself, you must be saved by trusting in, relying on, clinging to the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing in him and him only, then what is there to boast about? Who can pat themselves on the back? And the answer is, of course, no one can pat themselves on the back. No one can boast in themselves. No one. Romans 3, 21 through 26 states the gospel, and it does it awesomely. Romans 3, 27 through 31, which is what we cover today, tells us what we have learned from the gospel. Here's what we learn. If this is the gospel, if all this is true, here is what we've learned. And here are the questions the gospel answers. Number one, of course, it's right there. Where is boasting? Where is boasting? Another way to put this question is, what do you have to brag about? If this is true, if the gospel is true, what Paul has taught us about the gospel, what do you have to brag about? Of course, it's nothing. We have the sinful tendency of pride and arrogance and 
a sense of entitlement. We're all, it's all the rage. Fight for your rights. Stand up for your rights. You're entitled. Let me tell you what you're entitled to, to die and go to hell. That's what you're entitled to today, friend. That's what you deserve. That's what you have earned from your life. And the government may say one thing, the city government may say something, but my friend, when you die, you will face a holy God. You will face a holy God who judges according to holiness. And we have a tendency to have pride and arrogance. It's the original sin. I'll say that more than once today. Judges 7 verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. In other words, he said, Gideon, I'm going to whittle down the armies of Israel down to 300 men. And Gideon must have just been scared to death. Because from the fleshly side, 300 against tens of thousands is no competition. But God said, today you're going to know that I give the victory, not man. With 300 men, God slew all of their enemies. They came to Jericho and God made them do odd stuff. March around, shout, blow trumpets. On the seventh day, the walls fell and they came in, destroyed the great and awesome city of Jericho. And then in a few days, they went to the little bitty town of Ai. It's like, it's like New York coming against Calhoun. And the Calhounians just whooped the New Yorkians. <laughs> anyway, however you say. You say, well, that's no match. Well, why did Ai, why did Ai defeat Israel? Because God was with Ai. Because he was mad at Israel. My friend, any victory you have in your life is a victory given to you by the gracious and merciful hand of Almighty God. And so he said, I do not want anybody. Here's the point. No one should be trying to steal God's glory. No one. It's the original sin, as I said. Satan got to look at himself, and Satan was beautiful. Satan was awesome. Satan was privileged. Satan was in high esteem in heaven. And he looked at himself and everything he said about himself except one thing was true. He was beautiful. He was great. He was awesome, but he was not God. He said, well, I can do what God can do. I can be what God is. I can do that job. I'm taking over. You can't do that. And it's the sin we still have today. I don't care what God says. I can do this and I can get away with it. You will not. You will not get away with it. Every sin that you've ever committed, the Bible says, is paid, has to be paid for, has to be reckoned with. And those of us that trust Christ by faith, we have placed our faith in Christ and he reckons our sins into himself, hallelujah. And we have nothing to boast about. It's the attitude of I could, I should, and I will. You can't, you shouldn't, and you won't. You should give God the glory and fall helplessly upon his mercies. The reality is this. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, For who makes you to differ from another? What makes you different from anybody else? And what do you have that you did not receive? 
Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? I'm sure y'all have heard that old illustration about the guy that came against God. He was a scientist, and he, he, he told God, he said, we don't need you. We can make life in, the, in a test tube now. We don't need God. And he said, all right, let's go back to the beginning. Let's do it. Let's see who can make life. And so he said, but we got to start just like all men start. We got to start with dirt. And so God laid out his dirt, and the other guy said, well, give me some. He said, no, get your own dirt. Let me tell you, something, tell you something, everything you have is a gracious gift of God. You breathe not because you sucked in and blew out. You breathe because God said you can breathe. You breathe his air, you walk his earth, you live his life. He has given, it is to him and through him and for him, all things exist. That's not just fancy talk, that's truth. So where is boasting? He says it's excluded. Now this is boasting in self, by the way. It's excluded. That phrase excluded means to be shut out. That's, that's what it means. It means exactly what we know it means. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 29 through 31, it says this. Now listen closely. Listen. I use these verses a lot because I think they teach a lot. 29, by the way, it's talking about how he calls and chooses his people. He says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now listen, listen. He's talking about salvation, by the way. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. You thought you were smart enough, didn't you? You thought it was because God liked you more than he likes other people. You thought it was because you were intelligent. What is it? Why did you think that you got saved? Because you were good enough? No, my friend, you are of him, you are in Christ of him who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness. Oh, yeah, I was wise enough. Only because Christ was your wisdom. And he becomes sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Glory in the Lord. Even your faith, the Bible says. We taught this the other day. I'm not going to stay too much on it, but even your faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, comma, and that not of yourself. That not of yourself. But Brother Ron, I think I was talking about the grace. Well, it's talking about all of it. Nobody believes that they got grace of themselves and you didn't get your faith from yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not one ounce, not one inkling, not one, as my grandma used to say, iota, which I think is a Greek word, uh, letter actually, not one bit of boasting do you have except that Jesus Christ placed his love and grace on you this is the best illustration boasting that I can find it's found in Luke 18 verses 9 through 14 it's the story of it's a parable let me read it also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee a preacher and the other a tax collector a dirty rotten sinner an outright sinner. 
And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like that dirty tax collector, that's the Ron Owen version, even as this tax collector, because God, you know, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat upon his breast, Say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, saved, born again, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Seeing what we have seen in these last three chapters makes this Pharisee's arrogance pathetic. Pride and arrogance is pathetic. Knowing that God has given you and made everything that you are, he has given it to you and made you that by grace. And if you have arrogance and pride, you're pathetic. It is the height of arrogance to boast at all in your salvation. Seeing, as Jonathan Edwards said, I love this quote, that the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary and that even your faith is a gift of God. Boasting is pride and arrogance and it is the original sin. Number two, the second question is this, what law can save? What law can save? And he says this, and I kind of think this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I I won't say that it is for sure, but there is no law. I mean, that's his point. There's no law that saves, but he's just using basically, uh, uh, what's the word? I was thinking about it today. I almost used it in my outline. uh, uh, Basis. He's using the word basis for law. What is your salvation based on? I think that's what he's saying. But anyway, look at verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by, uh, I'm sorry, verse 27. By what law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. I think he means basis. You say, Brother On, is there a law in faith? Well, there's rules and regulations, ways you have to do it, but it's like the law of um, uh, 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 gravity. (laughs) You don't have to learn it for it to work, amen? (laughs) You step off the side of the building, you're going to find out there's a thing called gravity. Now, I can tell you how it works, but uh, you don't have to know all that. That phrase, the law of faith, faith is not like the law of Moses, It is not a set of rules and regulations to accomplish or actions to avoid. It is simply something you holler for. You believe in it. You cling to Christ. You turn. When you're convinced that the law can't save you because you look over here and all you have is lying and blasphemies and and idolatry and you say, this way is not going to save me. And the law does that, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. It shows you. So what do you do? you got to look around for something else, and you turn, and there's the cross. There's the cross. And you cling to the cross. That's faith. First of all, he says there's the law of works. 
This law says if you will keep each and every rule and regulation God has set forth and you keep it perfectly, He, God, will save you and make you one of His own and will give you certain blessings. That was the uh, covenant of works. You do everything I tell you to do and I will make you my children. There's one big problem with that. You can't do it, right? Being saved by this law is all on your shoulders. It's all on your shoulders. Well, listen, if that were the truth, there'd be a lot to brag about. There'd be a lot to boast about. Look at me, just like that Pharisee. God, I'm doing everything you said to do, ignoring the little things and hiding the other things, not probably little things, that he had done against the law. Then there's the law of faith. It mentions the law of faith. This law says, if you will believe what God has revealed about him and his son and turn to him, trusting in him only and relying upon his works, especially his work on the cross and the empty tomb, alone he will save you and give you himself for an inheritance. Being saved by this law is all on his shoulders. If this is true, that we are not saved by works, let's forget about the faith yet. If, if it's true that you're saved by works, my friend, let me tell you something. We are without hope. Galatians 3.21 says, In the law then, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has con- Find all under sin. But it doesn't stop there, as you can tell. Look, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Oh, you've got to come to yourself and say, I can't do that. I can't do that. Remember Pilgrim? He's looking in the book, this book. And he wept with a lamentable cry. And what did he cry? What shall I do? What shall I do? I can't do that. I can't do that. So that tells us that if we're going to be saved, it's got to be by faith. Thirdly, he raises a question. Now, this question isn't exactly in it, but it is a question and answered raised. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? Look at verse 29. Or is he the God of the Jews only? You know, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised, that's Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Yes, God will save anybody that comes to him by faith. Let me tell you something. Let me give you a little lesson here. It's all a lesson, isn't it? The Bible's a Jewish book. Did you know that? If you're anti-Semitic, you're anti-Scripture. It is mainly about Jews, mostly to Jews. The whole Old Testament was written to Jews. Every human author was a Jew, as far as I remember. All of the overwhelming graciousness of God towards the Jews, instead of making them humble, caused great pride. And their pride was sinful. They forgot 
That is, they ignored the command and promise of God to Abraham. Through you, all nations of the world will be blessed. It was God's intention that through Israel, all humankind would receive the gospel and the message. And they did, but they didn't do it the way that uh, the righteous way. They didn't do it by obedience. They forgot the lesson of Jonah and the Ninevites. They failed to remember that Rahab was from Jericho and that their mother, David's grandmother, was a Moabite from from Moab, Ruth. They ignored the prophecies like when Isaiah said in Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, just as many were astonished at you. So his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. We know who this is talking about, but listen to verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Sprinkling is what they did on the altar of incense and then they would take blood in and they'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat and that would atone for people's sin. It symbolized the atonement. It is Jesus Christ's blood atoned and sprinkled on us that forgives us of our sin. Kings shall shut their mouths at him and what had not been told them they shall see and what they had not heard they shall consider. And that is that Jesus is God is not just the God of the Jews. He is the God of every man, boy, and girl ever born Amen. to which all will give an account. It is God's grace that saves and that grace is extended to all nations. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. All men are sinners. All men are sinners, therefore all men are invited to come by faith to Jesus Christ. God the Father drew himself a bride out of the Jewish people and he is calling a bride for his son out of the children of the Gentiles. All that come to him and all that come to this family come by grace through faith in Christ alone. Fourthly, why do we need the law? If all this be true, then what is the use of the law? We've already talked about this a little bit, but here it is again. We're going to talk about it just like God talked about it in his word. Why do we need the law? Verse 31 says it. Listen, do we then make void the law through faith? Well, then I guess we're just making the law useless by believing that salvation is by faith. No, we're establishing it. That's what he says. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We show what its very purpose was. You got it wrong. You thought it was to show you how to be saved, but that's not what the law was for. What was the law for? Everybody turn your Bibles. I know Greg will put it up, but you got a copy of God's Word. Men have bled and died for that copy of that Word. Open it up. Turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. One of my favorite Psalms. A lot of people's favorite Psalms in the Bible. Psalm 19. If you read the whole chapter of Psalms, it's kind of interesting. He kind of goes through every proof that there is a God. Creation, conscience, and the canon of God's Word. And it's the canon of God's Word that I want you to to read about here. In Psalm 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And the rest of it's great. You can go read it later, but that suffices for my message. Let me tell you, using these and our text, let me give you this little outline. It's good. Number one, the law reveals the goal that must be met. I've told you all many times, you know, it's not a surprise. There's two ways to be saved. There are two ways to be saved. Now, if you've never heard me talk about this, you're probably saying he's a heretic. What's wrong with him? He's lost his nut. What's gone wrong with him? No. I mean, the Bible's pretty true. If you will live righteous, you will be saved. If you will keep the law, you will be saved. There's a problem with that. You haven't, you won't, and you can't. So therefore, there's only really one way to be saved, (laughs) and that is faith in Jesus Christ. But the law initially is this. God says, here is my holiness. Here am I. And he writes his character in alphabetical form, basically. And says, this is the standard. This is what I expect. Yea, this is what I demand. It reveals the goal that must be met. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There's only one righteous standard. Only one righteous standard, and that is the law of God. If you want to know God, if you want to be with God, if you want to be pleasing with God, you must keep the law. That's what it says. And why anybody would stand in a temple and say, God, I'm the greatest gift you ever had, not like that filthy publican. I do not understand. But people excuse their sin. Aren't we good at it? Aren't we good at ignoring what we really are and hiding? I mean, some of us know we're filthy, rotten sinners. We do things in secret that we're just praying and hoping no one ever finds out about. And we act like to the rest of the world, we don't do things that are sinful. And mama may never find out. And your wife or husband may never find out. Your youth pastor may never know. Your pastor may never know. But God knows. God knows. And he's the judge. Not the church. Not the preacher. God is. And he demands perfect holiness. If you're trying to get to him by righteousness, he demands perfect righteousness. Number two, not only does it reveal the goal that must be met, it reveals the goal that cannot be met, that we cannot meet. Psalm 19, 7, listen. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If we're righteous, why do we need converting? The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. It's Galatians 3.23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Now that word kept under guard doesn't mean kept safe. It meant kept in guilt. Closed up, we were imprisoned by our own guilt. Guarded by law. Kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. 
In other words, kept safe, kind of, yes, but in another way, kept in our sin, imprisoned by our own guilt. We, we, we were guilty. That brings me to the third uh, thing the law does. It reveals the gospel that has been made known. It reveals the gospel. It converts the soul. It makes the fool to become wise. And Galatians 3.23 is followed by Galatians 3.24 which said, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. I said it. You're looking at all your sin and filth and above it stands the law that you've broken. And what does the law say? It says you shall not pass. That's what it says. And it says you ought to turn around and find another way. And when you do, you see the cross. It takes us by the spiritual shoulders and turns us around and shoves us towards Calvary. That's what it does. It brings us to Christ that we might be justified, not by works, but by faith. Lastly, the law reveals the glory of God. He is what we cannot be. Hallelujah. He's a glorious, holy, and righteous God. Hallelujah. And this holy and righteous God loves you. MacArthur says, this is a great outline. I almost just used it for my own, but uh, anyway. (laughs) The greatest lie in the world is that by certain works of their own doing, men are able to make themselves acceptable to God. In other words, the greatest lie that we believe is that we can be righteous. He goes on, the greatest error, that's the greatest lie, but the greatest error in this belief is its sheer impossibility. The greatest lie is that you can live right. The the greatest uh, uh, error is that it is... You you don't see that it's impossible. But the greatest evil of that belief is that it robs God of his glory. I just love that. When I read that, I said, that's that's it. It robs God of his glory. Let me tell you something today. Let me tell you something today. Brother, sister, uh, uh, religion that teaches that you can you can be saved, but then you got to keep the law to keep saved. Or maybe you're here right out, and you believe you got to be baptized, you got to be catechized, you got to be uh, whatever eyes uh, to be saved. That you got to keep the law. Let me tell you something today. You can't do that. You can't do that. And here's the biggest reason: because when you do, you slap the face of a crucified Christ. You punch the gut of a, of a spear-riven side. You slap the face of a, of a, of a, a, a thorn-pierced brow. You cut down a cross when you say you can be saved by your own works. Let me tell you something. The law is not vain. It does its work by showing you you can't be saved by it and it pushes you to the cross. But if you continue to say, I'll be saved by my good works, you make vain the cross. You make vain the cross. You tread, the Bible says, in Hebrews, I believe, the body and blood of Christ. If today you leave this place continuing to say, I'm going to be saved by my own good works. 
the blood of Christ is not only on your hands, it's on your feet. Psalm 19.8, listen. The statutes of the Lord are right. Listen. Rejoicing the heart. If it's the law of God that's going to send me to hell, why would I rejoice over it? Because it's God. And we've come to know him by faith and we've come to love him and we love his righteousness and we love his holiness. And although in and of ourselves we'll never attain to that holiness and righteousness, we love our holy and our righteous God. And it is our desire, it is our goal in life to glorify him. Think about that the next time you yawn through amazing grace. Think about that the next time you're in the middle of worship and you pull your phone out to see who's notification just went off oh yeah I know you did it look it goes on it says the commander of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes enlightening the eyes oh happy day that fixed my choice on thee my savior and my God well may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad he taught me how to watch and pray. He, uh, uh, he taught me how to live rejoicing every day. Happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. The answer, this answers our first question that was asked. Where is boasting? Where is boasting? Our boasting is in God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, in his great plan of salvation that started before time began, in his, in his love, eternal love that he had for his son, which was expressed through him to us. Our boast is in Christ, in his sinless life, in his sacrificial death, in his sure resurrection, and in his second coming. We rejoice in Jesus. We rejoice in Christ. It is all of him. It is all to him. It is all for him. It is all by him. And we give him all glory. Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In conclusion, and it's a little bit lengthy. Give me a minute. I'll read it. The end of all messages... The end of all sermons, the end of all lessons, the end of all fellowships, the end of all weddings, the end of all funerals, the end of all days is this point. All glory be to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 17, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Ephesians 1.3-14 One of my favorite passages, you know I use it often. 
But listen to it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that right there alone is all glory be to Christ, all glory be to Christ, all glory be to Christ. And before he even gets to it, he starts the worship service. But why, Paul? Verse 4, just as he, God the Father, chose us in him before, when? The foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to what? The good pleasure of his will. Not some learned knowledge that he gained. No, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now listen to verse 6. This is it. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Not your works. Not your choice. Not your will. But the praise of the glory of his grace. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And he made that he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. You say, where did he did that? Read it. Right here, this is it. Most everything God has done is not a secret. He wrote, he told you, read Revelation, read the prophets. He's told us a lot of what's going to happen in the future. He has revealed to us the mystery of his will that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to what? The counsel of his will. Now listen, verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him also Excuse me. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed, you were sealed, protected, guarded with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Let me tell you something. You're, if you're saved, you're born again, you're guaranteed to get your inheritance. And the only way you cannot get your inheritance is if the Holy Spirit dies. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. All that's wonderful stuff, but here it is, to the praise of his glory. I reject any doctrine that does not give God and Christ all the glory or that steals any glory from him. I reject it. And you should too. You ought to be given all praise and glory. And it shouldn't be by writ. It shouldn't be by, i got to go to church. Maybe Brother Tim can work me up. Maybe Brother Ron can work me up to praise. Let me tell you, you start rehearsing the good and great and awesome things God has done for you. And it'll be automatic. My cheerleading days are over with. I'm too tired. I'm too tired to guilt you. I'm too tired to pull on you. Anybody, I'm too tired of dancing it, singing it, and trying to work it. It's never worked anyway much. If the simple preaching and teaching of the truths of Almighty God and His graciousness to us isn't enough to get the church to worship, I give up. I give up. Every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning.
Where is boasting? And I think the reaction of every Christian ought to be immediately to fall upon their face and say, it is God, it is God, it is His grace, it is His Son, it is His cross, it is His empty tomb, it is His sinful life, sinless life, excuse me. It is His virgin birth, it is all Him. To Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. This is not literature this is the testimony of apostles that were moved by the awesome grace of God. I often tell people, they say, I don't know how to pray. How do I talk to God? When, when I've done something wrong, I don't know how to, how to pray. Really? If you'd offended your mom and dad, do you think you'd need to write it down? Do you think you need somebody to tell you what to say and then you repeat it? No, my friend, you would gush if you truly were sorry for what you'd done to your wife or your husband or your mom or your dad or your sons or daughters. It would just flow. It may not be pretty words, but they're not looking for pretty words. They're looking for broken hearts. They're looking for rejoicing hearts when you brag upon their beauty. When you brag upon their goodness and how much you love them. And that's the way praise and honor ought to be to God. It ought to be automatic. It ought to be automatic.